Chapter Eleven of Old Rose and Silver. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Old Rose and Silver by Myrtle Reed. Chapter Eleven, Keeping the Faith. Colonel Kent and Allison critically surveyed the table, where covers were laid for seven. Some way, it lacks the grand air of Madame Bernard's, commented the Colonel. Yet I can't see anything wrong, can you? Not a thing, Allison returned. The grand air you allude to comes, I think, from Aunt Francesca herself. When she takes her place opposite you, I'm sure we shall compare very favorably with our neighbors. The Crosby twins arrived first, having chartered the station hack for the evening. As the minds of both were above such minor details as clothes, their attire was of the nondescript variety, but their exuberant youth and high spirits gallantly concealed all defects, and the tact of their hosts quickly set them both at their ease. Romeo somewhat ostentatiously left their card upon the mantel, so placed that all who came near might read in fashionable script, the Crosby twins. Having made this concession to the conventionalities, he lapsed at once into an agreeable informality that amused the colonel very much. Soon the colonel was describing some of the great battles in which he had taken part, and Romeo listened with an eager interest, which was all the more flattering because it was so evidently sincere. In the library, meanwhile, Allison was renewing his old acquaintance with Juliet. "'You used to be a perfect devil,' he smiled. "'I am yet,' Juliet admitted with a frank laugh. "'At least people say so. Romy and I aren't popular with our neighbors.' That doesn't speak well for the neighbors. Were they never young themselves? I don't believe so. I've thought sometimes that lots of people were born grown up. They say abroad that there are no children in America, that they are merely little people treated like grown-ups. The modern American child is a horror, said Juliet unconsciously, quoting from an article in a recent magazine. They're ill-bred and they don't mind and there's nobody who wants to make em mind except people who have no authority to do it. Why is it? inquired Allison, secretly amused. Because spanking has gone out of fashion, she answered, in all seriousness. It takes so much longer for moral suasion to work. Romeo and I never had any moral suasion. We were brought up right. Juliet's tone indicated a deep filial respect for her departed parents and there was a faraway look in her blue eyes which filled Allison with tender pity. "'You must be lonely sometimes,' he said kindly. "'Lonely?' repeated Juliet in astonishment. "'Why, how could I ever be lonely with Romy?' "'Of course you couldn't be lonely when he was there, but you must miss him when he's away from you.' "'He's never away,' she answered with a toss of her curly head. "'We're most always together, unless he goes to town or up to your house,' she added as an afterthought. Allison was about to say that Romeo had never been there before, but wisely kept silent. "'Twins are the most related of anybody,' Juliet went on. "'An older brother or sister may get ahead of you and be so different that you never catch up. But twins have to trot right along together. It's just the difference between tandem and double harness.' "'Suppose Romeo should marry?' queried Allison carelessly. "'I die,' replied Juliet firmly her cheeks burning as with flame. Or suppose you married? Then Romy would die, she answered with conviction. We've both promised not to get married, and we always keep our promises to each other. And to other people, too? 
Not always. Sometimes it's necessary to break a promise or to lie, but never to each other. If Romy asks me anything, I don't want to tell him. I just say King's X, and if I ask him anything, he says, It's none of your business, and it's all right. Twins have to be square with each other. Don't you ever quarrel? We may differ, and of course we have fought sometimes, but it doesn't last long. We can always arbitrate. Say, do you know Isabel Ross? I have that pleasure. She's coming to dinner tonight with Aunt Francesca and Miss Rose. Oh, said Juliet in astonishment. If I'd known that, I'd have dressed up more. I thought it was just us. It is just us, he assured her kindly. A very small and select party, composed of our most charming neighbors, and believe me, my dear Miss Juliet, that nobody could possibly be dressed up more. Juliet bloomed with pleasure, and her eyes sparkled. Isabel came out to see us, she continued, and I don't think she had a good time. We showed her all our fishing rods and let her help us make fudges, and we did stunts for her on the trapeze in the attic, and Romy told her she could have any one of our dogs, but she said she didn't want it, and she wouldn't stay to supper. I guess she thought I couldn't cook just because she can't. Romy said if I'd make another chocolate cake like the one I made the day after she was there, he'd take it up to her and show her whether I could cook or not. I believe he would, returned Allison with a trace of sarcasm, which Juliet entirely missed. Then he laughed at the vision of Romeo bearing the proof of his twin's culinary skill into Madame Bernard's living room. You come out and see us, urged Juliet hospitably. I will indeed. May I have a dog? They're Romy's, and I can't give him away, but I guess he could spare you one. Would you rather have a puppy or a full-grown dog? I'd have to see him first, he replied tactfully, steering away from the danger of a choice. He had not felt the need of a dog and was merely trying to be pleasant. There's plenty to see, she went on with a winning smile. I like dogs myself, but we fought once because I thought we had too many. We've named them all out of an old book we found in the attic. There's Achilles and Hector and Persephone and Minerva and Circe and Juno, and Priam, and Eurydice, and goodness knows how many more. Romy knows all their names, but I don't. Hearing the sound of wheels outside, Colonel Kent, with a certain old-fashioned hospitality to which our generation might happily return, went to open the door himself for his expected guests. Juliet went hastily to the mirror to make sure that her turbulent curls were in order, and Romeo intercepted Allison on his way to the door. I heard what she said, Romeo remarked in a low tone, about my having been up here, but I didn't tell her I was here. I don't lie to Jewel, but I'm responsible only for what I say, not for what she thinks. Allison smiled with full understanding of the situation. We men have to be careful what we say to women, he replied, with an air of caution and comradeship that made his young guest feel like a full-fledged man of the world. Sure assented Romeo, with a broad grin and a movement of one eyelid, which was almost, but not quite, a wink. Presently the three other guests came in, followed by the colonel. Madame Francesca was in white silk over which violets had been scattered, with a lavish hand, then woven into the shining fabric. She wore violets in her hair and at her belt, and a single amethyst at her throat. Isabel was in white, with flounces of spangled lace, and Rose was unusually lovely in a gown of gold satin and a necklace of palest topaz. 
in her dark hair was a single yellow rose juliet was for the moment aghast at so much magnificence and painfully conscious of her own white muslin gown madame francesca reading her thought drew the girl's tall head down and kissed her what a clover blossom you are she said all in freshest white with pink cheeks and sunshiny curls thus fortified juliet did not mind isabel's instinctive careful appraisement of her gown and she missed happily the evident admiration with which romeo's eyes followed isabel's every movement why didn't you tell me allison was asking rose so i could have ransacked the town for golden roses i've repeatedly done it myself laughed rose without success i usually save my yellow gowns for june when all the yellow rose bushes in the garden may lavish their wealth upon me happy rose allison returned lightly to die in so glorious a cause the twins were almost at the point of starvation when dinner was announced though they had partaken liberally of bread and butter and jam just before leaving home romeo had complained a little but had not been sufficiently spartan to refuse the offered refreshment i don't see why you want to feed me now and spoil my dinner he grumbled as he reached out for a second slice i don't want to spoil your dinner juliet had answered with her mouth full can't you see i'm eating too we don't want to be impolite when we're invited out and eat too much you've been reading the etiquette book remarked romeo with unusual insight and there's more foolish things in that book than in any other we've got when we're invited out to eat why shouldn't we eat they may have been cooking for days just to get ready for us and they won't like it if we only pick at things maybe they want some left juliet replied brushing aside the crumbs i remember how mad mamma was once when the minister ate two pieces of pie and she had to make another the next day or divide one piece between you and me i'll bet she made another she always fed us and i remember that the kids around the corner couldn't even have bread and molasses between meals on the way to the dining-room juliet drew her brother aside and whispered to him watch the others then you'll be sure of getting the right fork huh he returned resentfully having been accustomed to only one fork since he and juliet began to keep house for themselves when he saw the array of silver at his plate however he blessed her for the hint as the dinner progressed by small portions of oysters soup and fish he gratefully remembered the bread and jam the twins noted that the others always left a little on their plates but proudly disdained the subterfuge for themselves madame francesca sat opposite the colonel and rose was at his right romeo sat next to her and across from them was allison between isabel and juliet somewhat subdued by the unfamiliar situation the twins said very little during dinner juliet took careful note of the appointments of the table and dining-room and of the gowns the other women wore when romeo was not occupied with his dinner and the various forks he watched isabel with frank admiration and wondered what made the difference between her and juliet everybody tried to produce general conversation but could extract only polite monosyllables from the twins questions addressed directly to them were briefly answered by yes or no or i don't know or more often by a winning smile which included them all had it not been for madame francesca gallantly assisted by the colonel the abnormal silence of the younger guests might have reacted unfavorably upon the entertainment 
for isabel was as quiet as she usually was in the presence of her aunt and cousin allison became unable to think of topics of general interest and rose's efforts to talk pleasantly while her heart was aching were no more successful than such efforts usually are but madame francesca putting aside the burden of her seventy years laughed and talked and told stories with all the zest of a girl inspired by her shining example the colonel dragged forth a few musty old anecdotes and offered them for inspection they were new to the younger generation and madame affected to find them new also rose wondered at her as often envying her the gift of detachment the fear that had come upon rose at midnight was with her still haunting her waking or sleeping like some evil thing proudly she said to herself that she would seek no man though her heart should break for love of him that though her soul writhed in anguish neither he nor the woman who took him from her should ever even suspect she cared she forced herself to meet allison's eyes with a smile to answer his questions and to put in a word now and then when madame or the colonel paused yet with every sense at its keenest she noticed isabel's downcast eyes the self-conscious air with which allison spoke to her and the exaggerated consideration of juliet which he instinctively adopted as a shield she saw too that isabel was secretly annoyed whenever allison spoke to juliet and easily translated the encouraging air with which isabel met romeo's admiring glances once when he happened to turn quickly enough to see a shadow crossed allison's face and he bit his lips how civilized the world has become madame was saying lightly the mere breaking of bread together precludes all open hostility bitter enemies may meet calmly at the dinner-table of a mutual friend and i understand that in the higher circles in which we do not care to move a man may escort his divorced wife out to dinner and without bitterness congratulate her upon her approaching marriage i have often thought returned the colonel more seriously that the modern marriage service should be changed to read until death or divorce do us part it's highly inconsistent as it stands consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds she quoted inconsistency goes as far toward making life attractive as its pleasures do toward spoiling it what do you call pleasure queried allison the unsought joy if you go out to hunt for it you don't often get it when you do you've earned it and are entitled to it true pleasure is a free gift of the gods like a sense of humour by some oblique and unsuspected way the words brought a certain comfort to rose without bitterness she remembered that allison had once said in any true mating they both know over and over again she said to herself stubbornly i will have nothing that is not true nothing that is not true it was a wise hostess who discovered the fact that changing rooms may change moods that many a successful dinner has an aftermath in the drawing-room as cold and dismal as a party call madame francesca had once characterized the hour after dinner as the stick of a skyrocket which never fails to return and bring disillusion with it hence she postponed it as long as she could but the colonel himself gave the signal by moving back his chair 
An awkward pause followed, which lasted until Rose went to the piano of her own accord and began to play. At length she drifted into the running chords of a familiar accompaniment, and Allison took his violin and joined in. As he stood by Rose, the mere fact of his nearness brought her a strange peace. Had she looked up, she would have seen that, though he stood so near her, he had eyes only for Isabel, and was playing to her alone. Isabel did not seem to care. She sat with her hands folded idly in her lap, occasionally glancing at the twins who sat together on a sofa across the room. Madame Bernard and the Colonel had gone out on the balcony that opened off of the library. The night was cool, yet had in it the softness of May. Every wandering wind brought a subtle, exquisite fragrance from orchards blooming afar. High in the heavens swung the pale gold moon of spring. "'What a night!' said Madame, almost in a whisper. "'It seems almost as if there never had been another spring, and as if there never would be another.' "'That may be true for one or both of us,' she replied with unwanted sadness. "'My work is done,' sighed the Colonel. "'I have only to wait now.' "'Sometimes I think that all of life is waiting,' she went on with a little catch in her voice. "'And yet we never know what we were waiting for, unless when all is done.' A warm, friendly hand closed over hers. "'Do not question too much, dear friend, for the God who ordained the beginning can safely be trusted with the end.' as well as with all that lies between. Do you know, he continued in a different tone, a night like this always makes me think of those wonderful lines. The blessed demoiselle leaned out from the gold bar of heaven. Her eyes were deeper than the depths of waters stilled at even. She had three lilies in her hand, and the stars in her hair were seven. Francesca's eyes filled and the stars swam before her, for she remembered the three white lilies the colonel had put into the still hands of his boy's mother, just before the casket was closed. "'I wonder,' she breathed, "'if they know.' "'I wonder, too,' he said. The strains of the violin floated out upon the scented night, vibrant with love and longing, with passion and pain. Something had come into the music— that was never there before, but only Rose knew it. "'Richard,' said Francesca suddenly, "'if you should go first, and it should be as we hope and pray it may be, if people know each other there, and can speak and be understood, will you tell him that I am keeping the faith, that I have only been waiting since we parted?' "'Yes. And if it should be the other way, will you tell her that I, too, am waiting?' and keeping the faith, and that I have done well with our boy. I will, she promised. The last chord of violin and piano died into silence. Colonel Kent bent down and lifted Madame's hand to his lips. Then they went in together. End of chapter 11